The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Texas arrives because Texas is back is so cliched. Miami makes a statement and you won't believe our dumb ways to lose. Dumb loses more than smart wins. Both jobs and an actual football game. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, September 11th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here uh, on the heels of an electric night in Tuscaloosa and a spectacular virtuoso performance by the Texas Longhorns that announced their arrival as a legitimate national championship contender in my judgment if if they can do what I talked about throughout the offseason, Pete. I was completely unsurprised that Texas played at a high level in Tuscaloosa. If you recall in this podcast, I've said all summer, they'll play great in Tuscaloosa. The question is, what do they do against Kansas? What do they do against Iowa State? What do they do against Baylor? You know, all of those games that that they should win, can they avoid doing the thing that they've done in recent years? I feel as if that team had a look of a different type of outfit and one that is prepared for the moment. Um, and it was a it was a really really impressive and a thorough uh, performance that gave them an, an decisive victory. Yeah, Reese, I think you know you and I were lucky to watch from the sideline on Saturday night. I think one thing that is hard to quantify and you don't really get the sense of on TV was just how big Texas is. I mean, you see Tavondre sweat on the hoof, as scouts like to say. Oh my. And the the pace and rate at which they rotated their massive defensive linemen, and that's really where that game was won. Alabama wanted to win it in the trenches and push them around, and they simply couldn't do it. Um, that's what that was kind of what going to be one of my takeaways when I think back to that game three months from now, towards the end of the season, is that Texas has the beef interior. They have good edges, not great edges, but they can go toe-to-toe. And I think when you flash forward to what they're going to need to be in the SEC, it's a really good sign that they have that kind of depth. I mean, think about what Arkansas did to that program. I think it was almost two years to the day. They They go to Fayetteville, Reese, and just get ragdolled. I mean, they were not ready to compete with a middle-of-the-road SEC team. So props to Steve Sarkeesian. Props to – look, NIL has really helped Texas in, in, in credit Texas and Steve for using it in a really sound way. Uh, that's a that's a, uh, a weight room win, right? Their strength staff, clearly they were ready for that fourth quarter and dominated it. And then, you know, obviously my last take is a tip of the hat to Quinn Ewers. Um, he fought through adversity. There were some low moments. There were some drop balls. He stayed steady, Eddie. He never looked like the moment was uh, was too big for him. So, yeah, I mean, look, Texas is in the class of a contender. The scouts told us that this week, Reese, but there was also that hesitation of the last decade of Texas. They haven't mm-hmm. had the wiring to maybe go and finish the job, and they did. So a, a lot of credit to Steve and that staff for, for getting them ready for that moment. Pat McAfee asked me on the sideline on his show late in the game, uh, it was fourth quarter. I felt like the game was in hand. The the boys kind of gave me a hard time because I was like, I don't, you know, first of all, they, Alabama couldn't really seem to stop them when it mattered. You know, they held them in check for three quarters, but when it mattered, Texas always had enough on offense and Alabama's not, you know, wasn't built to, it was too hard. Everything, even the big plays, everything was kind of hard 
for Alabama because they, they're not efficient at quarterback position and they're not as good as uh, the game that they talked on the offensive line. Um, so I felt like, felt like that was one of the things. But he asked me, where do you rank Texas? Um, my rankings are always a blend of achievement. You have to project a little bit and a little gut feel. It can't solely be achievement or you wouldn't rank Georgia in the top 25. I haven't done anything. But clearly, you know, they're one of the top, top teams in the country. Same with Michigan. Um, I said the floor for Texas, in my judgment, should be four this week. And that's where I ended up put, putting them. I considered putting them ahead of Georgia and Texas. The only thing I'm skeptical about with the Longhorns right now is who would I pick if they played the three teams I had ranked in front of them right now? I might change my tune in October and say I would pick Texas. But right now, the only thing the only thing that keeps them at four and not at one or two, I think Florida State would beat them. I think Michigan and Georgia would beat them. Uh, you know, but but they might not. You know, yeah. they might not. It's not like I'm sold on it. And you know, and the good thing is there will be more more data coming in. You know, over the next few weeks to help you make those types of judgments to see if what you feel about teams right now is real, especially with Michigan and Georgia, who've had no test whatsoever. Texas and Florida State have at least been have at least faced a test. USC is also in that category of having not faced any type of test um, to speak of up to this point. I just think like they would be there would probably be three point spreads against Florida State and Michigan if Texas played them now. And I still think Georgia might be a touchdown favorite if you're on a neutral field. But they've 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 showed themselves in that class. And quite frankly, Texas hasn't showed themselves in that class uh, probably since our friend Fozzie Whitaker is going to join us here in a minute was uh, was was lining up with the hook him on his helmet. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And speaking of that, the perfect segue, the great Fozzie Whitaker is joining us right now, fresh off a great win for the Longhorns over the weekend. So, Fozzie, you've, you've been through the coaching changes, the Texas is back, they're not back, the slip-ups, the missteps. There was euphoria both on the sideline and in Austin among the fans when Texas returned after beating Alabama what do you think it signifies about where the program is relative to contending for championships? Yeah, first off, I want to say thank you all for having me on. Perfect opportunity to be able to share that if Texas is winning like this, hey, maybe I get some more opportunities to talk with guys like you, Pete, <laughs> guys like you. I get to be the benefactor of that. But ultimately, 
uh, this Texas win and stacks up as one of the best that they've had over the past decade. And uh, I mean, Pete even mentioned it the last time that I was there. Texas played for a national championship against that Bama team, but winning the Big 12 championship in 2009, that was probably the biggest win up to date until probably the Sugar Bowl. But how much stake do we actually put in the Sugar Bowl, right? A lot of people say Georgia didn't want to be there. Georgia was disinterested. Georgia wasn't fully staffed as well. They didn't have their full staff. They didn't have their full team. So it's kind of tainted uh, from that 2018 Sugar Bowl. I think this is the best win since that 2009 Big 12 championship game because I, I, I can tell you fully that Alabama wanted to be there. I can tell you fully Nick Saban wanted to beat Steve Sarkeesian. I can tell you fully they wanted to win at home in Tuscaloosa. So uh, this ranks there uh, as one of the highest wins that Texas has had. And I think that can help translate to the success that Texas will continue to have. And and I talked about this a little bit yesterday with Baird Salee and Tom Luganbill uh, in regards to where Texas is and how they can handle success moving forward. And I think ultimately it all pins back on where Sark has taken this program. I heard you, Pete, talking about the last time that they played an SEC opponent and went into a hostile environment. Arkansas was no joke. Fayetteville did not give them any favors. Uh, and Texas came out there limping with their teeth kicked in their mouth. Uh, and from two years, basically to date, uh, this Texas program looks completely different. Sark has changed the mindset and the mentality and the culture of where this Texas program had been in the previous two regimes uh, and has created a belief in where these guys are buying in. Quinn Ewers is stepping up as that leader that you want him to be. Uh, And this is the makings of a championship team. You put up 21 against Nick Saban in the fourth quarter, which is tied for the most that Nick Saban has ever allowed against his team. And you do that in Tuscaloosa. That shows me that you have championship type of mentality and championship is playing out. Now it's all about consistency. Can you handle the success? Can you do that against the teams that you're supposed to? Wyoming this Saturday at 7 p.m., will you look like that the team that played against Alabama or are you going to look like the team that lost to Kansas two years ago? That's where you got to have that championship mentality kick in and those leaders got to step up in a huge and positive way if they expect to have success and be competing for a Big 12 title whenever December rolls around. Fozzie, I've brought this little note up a couple of times and I would love to know what you think has changed with Texas coming into this season Texas needed to go 12 and 0 in the regular season so that they would have the exact same record over a three-year span that they had in the previous three years under Tom Herman so it took a little while to get going And if we are to assume, like I said earlier, and sort of that you alluded to also, that this group is built to handle success, to not have, nobody's immune to having the one face plan. I'm talking about the one where you, you know, you lose (laughs) just a horrible game and then you follow it up by dropping another one. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody can step in an empty elevator shaft and lose a game. That's why we do, uh, you know, dumb loses more than smart wins on this podcast all the time. But what's different? What What is, if you feel like that this is a different group, what did Sark do to change it from his first couple of years? And how, how why is it working? Well, number one, I think it starts with the players that he brought in. And, and that's the culture shift that he wanted to initiate in 2021. He just hadn't had time to build up that culture yet. And 
by what I mean by the players coming in. He brought in more talent, and I can say it's evident within the defensive line and the offensive line. Now, Texas is known for having good defensive line play, right? You got several guys playing in NFL now, and they've produced draft picks at the DN position year after year after year with different teams, right? That's never been an issue for Texas, but where I can say the issue has been for literally almost 17 years is at the offensive line position. Texas has created a draft pick, you know, here and there, had a second rounder here in Cosme, had a second rounder in Connor Williams. But before that, I mean, it wasn't until 2006 that they were having linemen drafted. That 2005 national championship team, they had almost that entire line play at some point in time within the NFL. And then it went barren wasteland for quite some time. Now you fast forward 2021, it wasn't truly Sark's team quite yet. He hasn't built up what he wanted to build up quite yet. And you're starting to say, is this the guy? Is he going to be doing the right things that we're looking for? Right. The question's still out. Five and seven season, not what Texas wants to be known for as a program with the type of tradition that it has. Go to 2022, eight and five season, still not acceptable. But what I saw was a Kelvin Banks, who is extremely talented, freshman All-American left tackle that came in. One of the first five-star recruits at the offensive line position that Texas has had since 2005. You brought in DJ Campbell, another highly recruited guy. You brought in Neto, another four-star prospect, high four-star prospect. You brought in Cole Hudson. You brought in all of these guys that Texas has not had on the offensive line ever the best recruiting class ever. These past two classes that Sark recruited 2021 and 2022 is the best ever, according to data, since it was actually populated in the recruiting website rankings. So you start thinking about the combination of the best offensive lines that have ever been assembled from a talent perspective. You bring in one of the best offensive line coaches and Kyle Flood Jr., who knows a thing or two about coaching great offensive linemen in his tenure. And then you put that together for a 2023 season that did not give up one sack to an Alabama defensive line that we know we're terrorized the rest of the country. And I think that's the culmination and the hope that I see in the difference between what Steve Sarkeesian has been able to do versus in the past is Quinn Ewers was pretty all day long. He had time in the pocket he was able to do what he want. Everybody talks about Texas's defensive line. They showed some of those flashes last year in Alabama. They showed some of those flashes throughout the course of the season. But that offensive line was demoralized by Alabama a year ago. Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, those were phenomenal players, and they were getting hits on Quinn and Hudson Card like every other play. Fast forward to this year in Tuscaloosa, they're not touching Quinn. And I think that's the biggest difference in why this team can have success and continued success is because they're protecting Quinn. And it was the adjustments that they made. Now, Rice last week, that was a three sack outing that this offensive line gave up, right? They had a lot of improvement that they needed to show because we knew Alabama was going to come in and have a better defensive line than what Rice was going to put on tape. And they came out, answered the bell. Kyle Flood made the adjustments. Sark made the adjustments. And they kept Quinn pretty in the pocket and gave up zero sacks against that highly touted defense. So I think that's where the difference is. And that's where you can hang your hat on the adjustments that have been made. The type of people in the culture that Sark has created will allow this team to be a lot more successful than what we've seen in the past because of that. 
Uh, Foz, you mentioned Quinn being pretty. Um, can you give me two or three specifics of where you've seen his growth? I mean, I think I think Saturday night is going to be looked back as a transformative night in his career, both as a college player and an NFL prospect. Give me some, I mean, you obviously played in the NFL, you played with a lot of great quarterbacks, uh, played with great quarterbacks at Texas. Give me two or three things that, that are indicative of his evolution, Fozzie. Yeah, number one, I got to look at the amount of passion that he showed in the game. And I'm sure you guys got to see it since you were in the mix and on the sidelines and witnessing in person. But Quinn was extremely animated. He was passionate. He was yelling at the fans. He was celebrating with his teammates. He was fist bumping. He was throwing out high fives like that was the most animated I had ever seen Quinn Ewers a season ago. Whenever he messed up or if he had a touchdown celebration, he kind of, you know, you have a small celebration, but then he would just walk off or jog off on the field. And that was kind of the end of it. Right. You never really saw him get too high. You never really saw him get too low. He seemed unfazed as if he was numb to all of those feelings. But I did see something extremely different in Quinn. And that was the amount of passion that he displayed this past Saturday that stood out in a major way. You don't see him yelling at his teammates often. You don't see him celebrating, chest bumping, throwing huge fists often, like out in public. You don't see him doing that. You don't see him yelling at the crowd after he scores or throws a scoring touchdown. You don't see him yelling at the crowd, you know, being that kind of villain role that he kind of took on. And I think that was the first step in the evolution of him being able to let it loose. And, and Sark talked about it. in order for him to have success in our pregame show with Longhorn Network, he said Quinn does not need to think. He just needs to go out there and play. And I think that was indicative of the growth that he's had from year one to year two is he's not thinking. He's going out there. He's reacting. He's reading his reads. And then he's playing the game that he loves to play. That's the first thing that I saw. The second thing that I saw was the amount of leadership he's shown. And I say that because I talked about it again last year. You had guys like B. John, John, uh, B. John and Roshan Johnson take up the role as the leadership in the heart and soul of what this offense looked like. And rightfully so. Both of those guys playing in the NFL, both of them scored yesterday, by the way, too. So huge shout out to them. But at the same time, it wasn't really Quinn's team, right? Even though he was the quarterback, he probably was still kind of the face of the program because of how how highly touted and recruited he was, it still wasn't his team. And where I've seen the evolution transform is it started in spring football and then it started in summer condition. And I had a conversation with Tory Becton, who's the uh, head street coach staff there. He talked about how they did 10 perfect reps and a perfect rep for them is they're doing 60 yard shuttles. They got to run down and then they got to run back and they got to do that three times. Each coach yells out, hey, you got to touch the uh, touch the line with your right hand going down. You got to touch with your left hand coming back and then going down. You got to touch it with your left hand again and then coming back. You got to touch it with your right foot. And so you're constantly working, but you're also engaging your mental fortitude while you are conditioning. And so it's it's a lot that you have. And then everybody has to sprint and everybody has to finish. If one person doesn't finish, that rep doesn't count. And so it's a scrutinized moment. And they were able to do 10 of those reps. And what Quinn said to the team afterwards resonated with me in a huge way. Coach said, 10. Y'all did 10? That's great. All right, let's bring it up. Let's get ready to break it down. And Quinn said, Coach, we got 12 games this year. He told his teammates to line up on the line. We got two more. And they went out and did those two more without groaning, without saying, no, we're done, with no hesitation. 
they followed his leadership and the role that he provided forward. And that became evident whenever I looked at them in the fourth quarter of what is Quinn going to do whenever the game's on the line. He has his teammates back and his teammates have his back. He throws up a touchdown. Adonai Mitchell comes down with it to help seal the deal. And that's where I see the evolution of where Quinn can be is he's taking that next step. He's taking the ownership. He's showing the passion. But now he's actually walking the walk. He's leading those that need to be led. And that put this Texas offense to be able to put up 21 in the fourth quarter, like I mentioned, and 34 points overall. So those are the two that stand out to me the most uh, as he feels a lot more comfortable running this offense and in the play of uh, in the flow of the game. It certainly changed the perception of a lot of fans, I'm sure, around the country and probably within the Texas program. And probably the biggest benefit that Quinn Ewers gets from all of this is, I don't know where he parked his car when he came to the complex, but I'll bet you they didn't put a boot on it. (laughs) And if they did, I bet they'd bring it right back to him. Fozzie, great to be with you, man. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you all, fellas. I appreciate it. Quinn also said he gave up Chick-fil-A to help transform his body. He's a better man than me. I can, <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. I tell you, he may think that giving up Chick-fil-A helped his body. I guess if he believes it, it's not a lie, but it's not true. Chick-fil-A is good for you. It's good for the soul. <laughs> That's fair. game this weekend that will soon be a Big Ten affair starting next year is Washington and Michigan State. Michigan State's won its first couple of games, and Washington's been wildly impressive. And all of that takes a backseat to the bizarre story that has unfolded with Michigan State's Mel Tucker, who is involved in allegations of sexual harassment involving the well-known women's rights advocate and rape survivor Brenda Tracy. Uh, A lot of sordid details. It's resulted in Tucker's suspension at Michigan State. I would assume that uh, we're not far from it being an untenable situation for him to continue as head coach of the Spartans. Pete, I know you've been following this closely. What is the situation? Where do we stand? And what does the future look like with uh, Mel Tucker in Michigan State? On Sunday night, Reese, uh, Michigan State suspended Mel Tucker without pay. And uh, the university later came out later, told our Dan Murphy that essentially the suspension was for unprofessional behavior and not living up to core values of the department and the university. Um, And Dan reported that they didn't learn that Tucker had admitted to any sexual encounters with Brenda Tracy until the reporting from USA Today came out over the uh, over the weekend. And uh I think when you distill this story to its essence, Reese, it's uh, we we will not see Mel Tucker coach again at Michigan State. It would be it would be an overwhelming surprise. Now that no one has come out and said that yet, there's a Title IX hearing the week of uh, October fifth, which is Michigan State's bye week, where this is going to be formally addressed. Obviously, he has about a little under eighty million uh, remaining on his contract right now with with Michigan State. So proper protocols for the university in order to try to unwind from that money are obviously, uh, you know, going to take place here. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an outlandish amount of money. And so um, there's a morals clause in Mel Tucker's contract, pretty staple that, you know, most of these college head coaches do. Some lawyers I talked to yesterday think that Michigan state should be able to fire him for cause. And that will eventually be the, the course of action. So there's a pause here. 
Harlan Barnett, a longtime Michigan State assistant, and uh, will be the head coach. Mark D'Antonio will return to the program to assist his former assistant, Harlan Barnett, in these duties. And uh, yeah, we, it's a, a, a shocking development, um, Reese, like that, that popped up late Saturday night. Uh, Dan Murphy had the initial story about the allegations and then the USA Today story obviously filled in some, uh, filled in some details, but just a, a, a seismic story for that football program. If, and I think most, uh, most college football fans are familiar, uh, with Brenda Tracy. She speaks to a lot of different teams. She spoke to Michigan State. In August of 21, she was actually uh, honorary captain for the spring football game in April of 22. Um, according to these stories, and want to make sure that we attribute all of these um, all of these properly. According to the story, there was one-sided uh, romantic interest um, advances from Mel Tucker toward Brenda Tracy. According uh, according to these stories. Um, her, her history is that she was gang raped by four football players. And it's a story that she has uh, back at Oregon State. And she has shared that story across the country for a number of years uh, to great success and trying to advocate an end to sexual assault and make football players particularly, but uh, people generally uh, more more aware, more sensitive to those types of issues. I mean, you know, there's a part of me that says, look, everybody knows this is wrong. You don't have to be educated that it's, uh, that it's awful and horrific to attack someone. But it has been very effective from many reports, her speaking to players and educating them a little bit on, on how their behavior can be perceived and, and why they should be very careful and intentional when entering this type of thing. And it's a, it's, it's a bizarre story on, on that front for sure. Yes, Reese. Uh, you know, Brent Tracy is obviously a, a, a familiar person within the industry and backdrop of college football, also college basketball, other sports too, uh, not just, uh, not just football. And uh, she's obviously a, a respected person on the, uh, on the landscape around the industry. And uh, you know, the, the, the Title IX suit, the basis of it, uh, alleges that that Mel Tucker had an inappropriate relationship with her that eventually led to these harassment allegations. So again, nothing's proven. Uh, the hearing comes up in uh, in, in early October, and um, you know the, the the facts will lay themselves out, and the you know the the, the confidence that Tucker will not return um, is stemmed a to his suspension, b to the university knowing there was a hearing, and then acting when things went public. And uh, there's just a difficulty because of these allegations and because of what he has admitted from the, that, that revealed itself in the USA Today reporting. Um, it's just a difficult, it appears to be a difficult thing, no matter what happens in that hearing for him to return as the head coach of Michigan State. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Weekend Review with Ryan McGee is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Joining us now, our good friend Ryan McGee. After uh, We're not going to spend the whole podcast talking about Alabama and Texas, but I do think there are a couple more things, Ryan, to hit on here. I believe that at this moment in time, that this is the second biggest challenge of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. It's an unprecedented run of dominance. It's the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. It's not even close in this period of time. The sustained excellence from his second year there, 2008, up until now, has not been matched, particularly with the number of titles that they've won. But they've lost their edge in the fourth quarter. They don't finish games anymore. And I'm not just talking about Saturday night. Uh, You go back to the LSU game last year, they take the lead, they immediately give up a 75-yard drive. Get it? Gets to overtime, they give up a 25-yard run on one play. Tennessee last year, they come all the way back from that big deficit. They take the lead. They give up a 94-yard drive. They do it again, and they give up a 75-yard drive, and then they allow Tennessee to drive in like 40 seconds to kick the winning field goal. They gave up 18 points in the... uh fourth quarter there, 18 in the fourth quarter in overtime to LSU. And of course, back in the national championship game against Georgia, they gave up 20, albeit one touchdown on pick six, but they gave up a couple drives there too. So while we will fixate on Jalen Milrow, and he certainly has a, a lot of improvements to make, and the offensive line talked better than it played. Uh, they, they got pushed around by Texas or stymied. It's a better way to put it by Texas. The defense doesn't close games the way they used to. And that to me is not so much physical as mental and turning the ship. Once it starts sliding in a direction is a challenge for even the greatest coach and short of putting this dynasty in place. I think this is the biggest challenge Nick Saban has faced at Alabama. Obviously that one is in a category by itself, establishing the dynasty, putting them back in a position to close big games and to be feared again is a gargantuan uh, mountain to try to climb and try to scale again. You agree? Yeah, and, and I tell you where I, I, you started seeing signs of this was I, I personally think that the greatest coaching job Nick Saban did was twenty twenty, and and I and I think that year changed him just as a human. You know, I'm, I'll never forget Marty and I. We had him on Marty McGee. Of course, we weren't traveling that that year. We were doing the show in the studio. But we had him live from his office on like December 23rd. And he got emotional talking about having just had, you know, breakfast with the team. And and I really think that year changed him as a person. He, he jokes more now, you know, he, he's, he's much more introspective dur- during conversations. Um, I, I really think it changed him, but what I saw in 2021, and I don't think this is because of change Nick Saban. I think this was something that we all kept waiting 
on to happen, and it just didn't happen with the coaching turnover every year and losing half a dozen first rounders every year is it was is quality control. You know, in 2021, I remember it was like game 10 and they had a substitution infraction, like 12 men on the field. And it caught me so off guard because it just doesn't happen. And they made mistakes that year, you know, in Atlanta. They made mistakes that year in their bowl game. And so what we see now, like I was at that Tennessee game, and they they made, I mean, clerical errors in the second half of that football game. And that just doesn't happen. You know, guys on the field at the wrong time and, and you know, guys, you know, m- making tiny, you know, mistakes when it comes to fundamentals. And so the, that's what I started seeing in 2021 that hasn't gotten any better. And what he was able to do forever during, you're exactly right, the greatest dynasty in the history of the game, it's not even close, is that even when he would lose Sark, even when he would lose Kiffin, even when he would lose, you know, another former head coach to another head coaching job, he was able to shore that up and you couldn't even tell, you know, the, the, the next team looked just like the previous team. And so that's, what's different to me is that it's, and, and you saw it on Saturday. I mean, there's just, there's little th- and week two, week two, but Nick Saban team still didn't make those mistakes in week two. And so it's just, those were the little things I saw in 2021 that I felt like hasn't gotten any better. And we've seen it at other, we've seen it at Clemson. We've seen it at other places when, when other mortals lose assistant coaches. We didn't see that at Alabama. And now it's, that's starting to happen and, and it hasn't gotten any better in three years. Yeah. I think that the most impressive part of the, of the Nick Saban dynasty is that it has defied human nature for yep. so long. Right. Mm-hmm. And all, you know, I remember Urban Meyer talking about this kind of early in his Florida time is that there's, there's a certain energy to pushing the boulder up the hill and, and bringing it up. And it is weighing and taxing and difficult to keep it there. And the credit to Nick Saban is that they have been able to keep it there with very little variance, right? Just slight ticks of variance for, for, for an extremely long time. Um, and, and again, it's never one thing that undoes a dynasty, right? It's never the loss of one player, or the loss of one coach. But I think you're seeing the the confluence of a lot of small things catch up. Uh, the strength coach leaving, right? When you talk about the fourth quarter, yep. that that area just doesn't seem to be in the same elite, elite neighborhood that it was. It could still be very good, but it's not there. Um, that much staff turnover is going to hurt you in recruiting, Um you're losing some players in the portal that may have developed into good depth players that are now going to go elsewhere to to play. Um, and and look like the the receiver position they didn't Alabama didn't have playmakers. There was nobody that in the second half you're like they need to get the ball to X or this guy if I'm Texas I need to double or this guy scares me. They their offense is very good, but it's pedestrian enough where. You don't have to manipulate your defense to stop one specific thing. And I think that was – look, Burton made some nice plays, but he is not a game breaker. He's probably not an all-SEC player at first team, right? Like, again, there's there's he's very good. He'll be drafted in the NFL. Uh, but there just is a talent drip, like a recruiting thing that, that comes with it. Um, you know, Tommy Reese is the OC now. He, he's a very good OC. I don't put a lot of this on Tommy Reese from the other night. I just – I don't think he has the the toys to play with um, that that previous guys have, and, and, and Sark has. So um, when you're when you're chasing the standard that you've set, which is what Alabama has been doing to a high degree of success for a long time, it's just a very difficult thing. Now let me let me say this: I don't think I don't think they're done. 
I'm not saying they're done, done. No. They're no, no good anymore. Yep. Because I, I, I really believe in the offseason, a lot of those types of guys that you're talking about, Pete, making the difference, setting your game plan around them, a lot of them are freshmen and really – are just starting to get on the field, freshman, sophomore. I think they have a chance to be better next year than they were going to be this year, assuming they get the quarterback thing straightened out. The mental edge is what I'm wondering, and I'm also very curious about this. It's still rare enough to beat them, and it's still a big enough accomplishment that it's a big deal. When do you think will be the first time that they lose a game and it doesn't set off euphoria wherever you are, whether it's a field storming, whether it's, uh, you know, a massive celebration on the field by the players like you saw from Texas last night, all deserved, by the way, complete, you know, completely deserved and a great moment. And, they, and Texas needed it badly and they got it. But I'm wondering, okay, I think the number is four and three or something like that over the last seven games against Power 5 opponents, something like that. But it's not as rare as it was. And that will be the sign. I'm not going to sit here because I scoffed at all of the people who spent all this time over the years. Every time they lost the game, it's over. Dynasty's dead. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they've got a massive challenge to turn it back to get to approximate what it was. And a big sign will be, is it, do they ever reach the point where beating them is good? Is good. It's good. Yay, we won. But it doesn't set off the euphoria that, that it still does now. Yeah, and and it's uh, and this is you know I, again I was at that Tennessee game and you know more than a decade and a half since the, the BC everybody's going to get one you know and maybe the next time if Tennessee were to win this year at Tennessee it's going to be like that again but if it happens three years in a row or happens four years in a row but I'll say this we all know this about Nick Saban he kind of digs losing a game you know the reality is, <laughs> is that, it's so true you know, seven so national championships right it's true seven national championships. <laughs> I think two undefeated seasons in all those. That included 2020. And so, but there's a part of him that digs losing the game because it reminds everyone, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you, you don't just throw your jersey out there and they just lay down. You know, it's just, that's just not how football works. And so it's good to remind everyone you're not as great as everyone, you know, says that you are. And so, yeah, he digs having a loss. Now, he doesn't dig having two. <laughs> right, but 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 he likes to have one, and he and he likes because because it usually will set a tone, you know, for the remainder of the year. Well, I think you could argue, guys, that like right now, sitting here on uh, you know September, uh, we're taking this Monday, September eleventh, uh, that if Vegas set lines for the rest of their games, they would probably be favored in the rest of their games. Right, I don't think anyone's going to favor Tennessee and Tuscaloosa yep. on October twenty first, and then. Um, Mississippi State doesn't seem like a road game. They'd be an underdog. Ole Miss at home, they're going to be favored. At Texas A&M, certainly after the dinosaur egg they left in uh, South Florida the other night, they're not going to be favored there. At Kentucky, now, they could still lose three games. I'm not saying that they're not going to lose any more games, but like, like the, the perspective is still this is Alabama, and it mm-hmm. is still a big deal. To it, Losses are still going to be rare. They are just not as rare. And, and so – um, and it's a great point by Ryan how like Saban has them right where he wants him on a uh, on on Monday Monday morning right they yeah. they come in for that first team meeting everybody's spine is going to be a little bit straight and he can now I think borrow into maybe on the identity of what this team is because I don't really think we knew that coming out of camp and coming out of the first game so I certainly will not pick up the shovel and start digging no. the grave of the Alabama dynasty but I think in our listeners to this podcast too would know like Reese and I both picked the under 
on on Alabama this year, which was to lose two games. Um, I, what was it at? Uh, ten and a half, right, Reese? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, like, yeah. again, the the cracks have been there, and they still exist. Uh, but like, like, yeah, nobody's you know nobody's typing an obituary um, in the uh, in the office quite yet. You know, Ryan, to your point about Nick enjoy not not enjoy dig is the right word. He can use eager to use losing a game. I'll never forget. Remember that big? I think it was a top three, certainly top five, maybe a top three season opening game against Jimbo in Florida State. I guess what that's mm-hmm. probably seventeen. And a guy on their staff said, "You know, we've got to win." He goes, "But if we don't." He'll be way better next week if we lose in yep. terms of – he said, if we win this, he said, it's going to be awful this week you know, to try yep. to uh, yep. uh, – don't, don't get complacent and all of those types of things that have made – all those things that make him the best to ever do it. Uh, we brought up we, – we spent a lot of time on Texas-Alabama. That was obviously the story of last weekend. But sort of low-key – Another program that's been, you know, are they back? Are they ever going to come back? Are they? Miami made a statement. A&M, true, fair enough, dinosaur egg. But Miami kind of answered the bell and and opened some eyes with a, a win that they very much needed for the Mario Cristobal era on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it, it's it, it's so funny because I'm I'm I got PTSD, right? I'm still reluctant to buy in. Right, you know, it's the oh, Texas's back rule. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. still, uh, but 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 if anyone's going to do it, I was having this conversation last night with my dad. Reese, in fact, you called. I think while I was literally in the middle of this conversation with my dad on on Sunday night, we we're talking about the game, and 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 dad dad officiated so many ridiculously huge Miami games back in the Big East days, and we were talking about if anyone's going to do it, Mario Cristobal's the guy to do it, you know, and if they're ever going to get back. You know, I don't know that the window will exist like it exists right now again, you know, if this doesn't work. And so it looked like a Miami football team. There, There is an attitude and a way of doing things. And, you know, and, and again, part of Nick Saban's problem is, you know, all of these protégés, apprentices, whatever you want to call them, they're all out here taking care of business with that playbook. And and, and what I see from Mario is, is I see that foundation – Hopefully, but it it was absolutely a statement win, and, and it was um, you know. But that being said, there's also the flip side of that, which is um, we've had this conversation about Texas A&M before. I never buy into them ever. I don't care who the coach is. I don't care who the players are. You know, the, the reality is, I think I've said it on the show before. I looked it up. Last time Texas A&M won an national championship, number one movie at the box office, Gone with the Wind, and so. <laughs> It's the truth. And, and, and I got in a little trouble for saying that on the SEC Network one night. But, but the reality <laughs> is that that's what it is. And so I, I I think Miami is on the way. I don't know that was the, if that was the greatest measuring stick that, that maybe we, we hoped that it was. But, but yeah, it's um, I, I thought it was absolutely – it has the potential to be a statement game. That being said, um, again, it's the Texas's back rule. I'll sit here and say that yep. and then, you know yeah. – We'll be talking about Miami's, you know, three out of four losses in the ACC in the middle of the year. But, but I, I think it certainly feels that way. I'm not suggesting they were back. I just thought they they couldn't afford. Neither team could afford a loss, and A and M had to eat it. Yeah. Yes, I do want to mention uh, 
probably the best player on Miami's roster, All-American safety Cam Kinchins had a scary injury in that game. Uh, mm-hmm. He was brought to the hospital the other night. So just our thoughts with him. I mean, uh, a dynamic player was really a bright spot during a dark Miami season last year. Let's hope let's hope he just gets his health back first. We can worry about the, the field later. But that was obviously one of the scarier moments from uh, fr- from Saturday uh, from Saturday night. Um, on a lighter note, I want to say Texas A&M's last conference title came in the Big 12. Is that right? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And it was, let's see here, national championships, conference championships, 1998. Taylor, can you can you look up in, uh, I guess, late December of 1998, what would have been the, uh, what, what movie would have been number one at the box office? Well, their last, their last conference championship. Maybe Goodwill Hunting? Maybe so, but their last conference championship sort of spoiled things for Kansas State. Kansas State, oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, that was- Parker, you know, they weren't they weren't the juggernaut. They pulled an upset. I mean, they deserved the title, yes. deserved the rings, deserved the trophy. They did it. Yep. But what, Brandon Stewart, I believe the former Brandon volunteer, Stewart. who started yeah. ahead yeah, right. of Peyton Manning for a minute, didn't he? It, it was, so it was funny. I, I thought a lot about Brandon Stewart uh, you know, being, obviously, in Tuscaloosa with Texas. And, and, you know, we obviously have the Arch Manning, you know, you were situation. But – Brandon Stewart, Peyton Manning signed, and I was in Knoxville at the time. It was the greatest thing of all time, whatever. Peyton Manning signs, and then Brandon Stewart signed like the next day. And everybody's like, are you sure about this? He's like, oh, no, I'll get the job. Don't worry about it. And he actually I think he actually started ahead of Manning. Yeah, that was the great uh, – that was the, the – I think the UCLA game where Todd Hilton, yeah. uh, I mean, maybe Sterling Hinton, who's the DJ at Neyland Stadium now, I mean, we went through like four quarterbacks in that game, and eventually, uh, obviously, Peyton Manning, you know, ended up being the star. But yeah, but Brandon Stewart with two ends uh, went to Texas A and M and uh, brought them their last semblance of a ring. This isn't nearly as fun as Gone with the Wind, but A Bug's Life was the oh. number one movie at the box office, and You've Got Mail was second. That probably lands a little bit, uh, lands a little bit, a little bit more generationally because we can all hear the uh, we can all hear that voice coming from uh, old AOL. So. <laughs> it, uh, I love it. Is, it. it is tough to be a bug. Anything else that really jumped out over the weekend at you? I, I the one thing with game day going to Colorado this week. Um, I'd given the analogy that Nebraska had a chance if they could get Colorado down on the ground and put them in a figure four leg lock and wrestle them on the ground. Nebraska, man, oh man. I mean, Colorado, I mean, look, it wasn't overwhelming necessarily, but um, it was decisive. And for a, a program that was as far in the weeds as Colorado was, what a spanking of a rival coming in a little wounded and desperate, eager to turn and make a statement. What a spanking. And, you know, I guess we can spend other times talking about Nebraska's issues, but um, Colorado is going to be almost certainly going to be three and oh after next week when they play Colorado state. And it's a remarkable, remarkable start to the season there uh, along with Texas. They're the story of September. Oh, there's no question. And I, I, I was actually right before I logged on you guys, I'm working on an essay for Sports Center, you know, for later in the week. And we decided to talk about that. And, and what I'm writing is basically I'm trying to explain to, you know, our children's generation why we're so excited about Dion, right? You know, and I'm trying to explain, you don't understand how big he was. You know, he was viral back when viral was still just a medical term, right? I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, my first, my greatest Dion memory was I was at a Clemson, Florida State game. Uh, in fact, it was just—I think it was this very weekend, it was like like the 16th or 17th of September, 1988. 
and my dad was working at Furman. We drove down and made it to the game in a driving hurricane. And I'll never forget Clemson running down the hill. And this is Danny Ford, 1980s Clemson. This is before Dabo. This is Clemson's greatest era. And Dion stood at the bottom of the hill just like this. I mean, just beating his chest like, bring it. And we were all like, what an idiot. And <laughs> about two quarters later in a driving hurricane rainstorm, he returned a 77-yard you know, punt for a touchdown. That was the punt Ruski game. And that's the day I was like, okay, you know what? He's the guy. And, and he's been the guy ever since. And then Colorado, on top of that, kids out there listening, you know, at this same time, the, the very next year, Colorado played for an national championship, lost in the Orange Bowl, and then the following year won the rematch and, and shared the national championship. You know, and so it's, it's to see Colorado back and to see Dion in a place of prominence for those of us of a certain age. Who grew up, you know, watching standard definition television? It's it's a really big deal. But but if you're a Nebraska fan though, because Nebraska Colorado was such a big deal back in the day. Nebraska is the last team of the '90s to the party. My, we're just talking about Miami and Florida State, and you know Tennessee's back and Michigan. They're all back, and and Nebraska's still sitting there. And now they're watching Colorado turning around. Colorado almost won the bottom ten last year. And and now your game day is going there. And it's like, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're just like, what? WTH? You could have said WTF, and I would have dropped my Phil Dunphy line on you and said, why the face? <laughs> the greatest, one of the greatest Phil Dunphy from Modern Family Lines. He goes, you know, he goes, I'm the cool dad. I know the lyrics to all the songs, high school musical. I know what the kids text, WTF, why the face? That's it. That's it. <laughs> Pete, Pete's like, who's Phil Dunphy? Yeah. I really don't know who Phil Dunphy no, is. Phil, Phil, do you really not? Yeah, no, Fran wait, Dunphy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We could talk Fran Dunphy all yeah, day. Wait. You really don't know? Phil Dunphy. No, no Phil, idea. You, Phil Dunphy is one of the great sitcom comedic carriers of all uh, characters of all time. Okay. Ty Burrell Modern on Modern Family okay. is Phil Dunphy. Yeah. All right. My lack of pop culture knowledge knows no bounds. No, no. Like Phil Dunphy's obscure for me. But, but like, in Pete's defense, Reese, we've both been there. You can't have dinner with Pete. Like I remember when I was having dinner with Pete in like West Hartford, and all of a sudden <laughs> Pete disappears. I'm like, where is Pete? And some assistant coach from like Fairfield State or somewhere had shown up because he heard Pete was at dinner and wanted to share some information with him. So there's not a lot of time in Pete's world. To, to, and, now, and now Pete's got a baby in the house. It's all it's all bluey and you know all that stuff now. So you won't even <laughs> Miss Rachel, yeah, Miss yeah. Rachel. That's what I'm up on my baby pop culture. I can I can yeah. give you that. We got yeah. Miss Rachel. We got Elmo. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and a lot of Tigger now. Tigger's hot in, right. the, in the Thamel house right now. Not a, not so. a lot of time to be watching sitcoms, and it's and it's, it'll be like that for a while. So when you retire, uh, we'll, we'll send you some links to watch. All right, I I'm appreciate gonna, that. I I like a good laugh. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie about that. I, I'm just, gonna I'm, I'm gonna go off on on a mild tangent. You know, the one thing about pop culture now is that it's so segmented. Because I mean, this was true during the Modern Family era, but back when we were all you know a little bit younger, especially Ryan and me, who are, I'm older than Ryan, but you know fairly close anyway. Um, because everybody watched the shows at the same time, and they didn't time shift or they didn't pick up a series you know, five years after it had gone off the air, people sort of knew things. But if you don't see things, you don't know. I mean, I, for instance, I'm a huge fan of The Office, right? 
I never watched one episode of The Office when it was, you know, you know, actually on the air and new ones were coming out right then. And the reason was the guy who played Dwight Schrute, do you pronounce his name Ryan uh, Wilson? I, yep. I don't know. It's spelled like, Rain. It's spelled Rain. differently. Rain Wilson. Rain, yep. Is it Rain Wilson? Okay. Yep. Brilliant actor. But he looked so bizarre that I was like, I won't like that. I'm not watching that show. <laughs> and he's he's one of the... He's one of the great comedic characters in the history, modern history of television. I love that guy. He's hilarious. Quote him often, you know, Bears Beats and, and Battlestar and, Galactica. There you go. And then there's work, right? Like people can't right. believe yeah. I didn't watch Seinfeld in the 90s. Reese knows this. I was cutting highlights for Sports Center cutting on highlights. Thursday nights yeah. in the 90s. You know, I went into work at three o'clock in the afternoon. So I, there was no, right. I, I, I must see TV and there was no DVR. So, so yeah. I watched, I watched Sanfa and I go, that's hilarious. My wife's like, you never seen this? No, because I was cutting yeah. highlights for Reese Davis on, on Sports Center. <laughs> it's like all of these, all of these streaming services now too, they have all of their individual, um, you know, their original products and, you might see some, you might not. So there's there's no commonality among pop culture really anymore. It doesn't seem you know, people say you haven't seen, you know, the bear, you know, or whatever it is that show that our producer on Game Day talks about a lot, Jim Gallero, the bear. I don't know. I thought it was probably about an outdoorsman who went hunting. Turns out it's like it's like a cooking show or something, isn't it? Is that what it's it is? A bear Bry- I thought it was a bear bryant documentary. It's not a bear. Well, see, not, that's what I would think. Once too. a fall starts. Yeah, once the fall yeah. starts, I, I I don't I don't see it. well. So to this point, and I'll I'll bring it back to Tuscaloosa. We uh, for Marty McGee on Saturday, we had these three young women who played junior college basketball in Mississippi. Their coach was on a really famous team, a women's Final Four team at Alabama in the nineteen ninety four, and the the coach brought these three young women to Tuscaloosa for the game. They'd never been to college football game. The, the fir- first experience college football is Texas, Alabama <laughs> on a Saturday night. But, but I asked them on the show, I said, so what has been your reaction? And they're like, we can't believe this is real. Like, what are you talking about? They said, the cheerleaders and the band are like, it's just like high school musical. Like, it's just like Friday Night Lights. And I'm like, oh, yeah. My daughter and I have been, we, we binged Friday Night Lights, the television show, you know, over the summer. But, but these international kids had no idea. I'm like, oh, no, no. It's like this every weekend. And just so you know. They're doing this in about seventy different places this weekend at different levels. So you know, it, so yeah, so we're we're spreading the gospel. Uh, three junior college basketball players from other countries at a time, boys. I, I passed on an opportunity to do a poor imitation of Lou Holtz because you know at some point you do imitations just to satisfy yourself. So let let me ask you this, Ryan: Where are you in the Friday Night Lights? Uh, are you familiar? Are you deep into the series? Do you? Are you familiar with yeah, Matt see, I Saracen? watched it. No, I watched it back in the day. And so, so, so my daughter, and I, t- I told my daughter, I said, first of all, for my birth, for, uh, for Father's Day, my daughter ha- got me a, a cameo from Matt Saranson, which was awesome. And, uh, he was like walking the dog and doing a cameo to, to say Happy Father's Day. But my, but I told my daughter, I said, we got to get se- through season two. And spoiler alert, there's a weird murder in season two. Yeah, that's very weird. We got to get through t- season two. And then we'll be fine. And so, yeah, yeah. it's uh, and she has no idea. I'm making her read the book now, the original book, and 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 watch the movie because, to, in my opinion, one of the greatest sports books ever written. And uh, you know, and 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 Marty and I always talk about thanks to NIL. How many times can I reference Buddy Garrity? 
you know, on because <laughs> yeah, we're living exactly. in the Buddy Garrity era of, of collegiate <laughs> athletics now. Buddy Garrity had always thought he had power. Now he actually has power. Did uh, did Matt Saracen's cameo to you kind of sound something like this? He go, uh, "Hey, um, Ryan, I, you know, my 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 grandma's sick, and uh, you know, I, <laughs> I you know, and I, I just, you know, I don't know if I can, oh, but, but but I gotta go see my grandma." Did it say something like this? Sound like that? My daughter used to get so mad at me because I would imitate him and obviously do it facetiously and over the top. But Pete's like, "What is happening to my podcast?" Yeah, he, you know, he's from like Ohio. I read the book. That's where I am. Yeah, up. Well, so he's from I read like a couple Ohio, times. So Great book. The, the best part was he, my daughter, sent him notes of what to say, and I had a book that came out called "Welcome to the Circus of Baseball" back over the summer, and Matt Sarenson. The actor plays Masters walking the dog, and he goes, and, hey, Ryan, I hear uh, you have a new book. He goes, congratulations. And he actually looks off camera, clearly looking at notes, and he goes, welcome to the Circus of Baseball. <laughs> and then he turns <laughs> and looks at the camera like, I appreciate him uh, sticking to the script, Matt Sarenson. But, yeah, all right, so, Pete, uh, we'll, start, uh, we'll start sending you uh, Friday Night Lights links to watch. It's important. Thank you. I'll get to it. I'll get to. It. I certainly would like a television show about football. I just never. I just never got there. I, I don't. Awesome. I don't know. Yeah. My bandwidth is, is limited. So you're that's breaking news. You're too busy breaking news. It's okay. Yeah, that's why he's the authority. You can't be the authority and know about Phil Dunphy and Matt Saracen. You can't. That's a fact. It's, it's too much. Too much. Ryan, always a pleasure, buddy. We'll talk soon. Right about Michael Pratt and Tez Walker. So. <laughs> All right, boys. I appreciate it. And I want to thank you guys, uh, by the way, for sending along this dumb loses more than smart wins that might actually retire the trophy. It's certainly, it's an all-timer. <laughs> so I had to do a little digging on, on this particular game. It was a Division II game. Indiana University, Pennsylvania against East Stroudsburg. IUP, the defending conference champion, uh, ranked in uh, the top 15. I think they were number 12 in the country. They found themselves trailing late against the East Stroudsburg Warriors, 13-12 in the fourth quarter, driving down the field, going for the winning score, working the clock, took their final timeout with 26 seconds to go, third and goal from the one. Quarterback Karst Hunter takes a three-yard loss to get the ball in the middle of the field. Tick, 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 tick. They're going to drain the clock. Take a timeout. Kick the winner. Crimson Hawks will win. But the defending PSAC champions, they had a problem. They lost track of their timeouts. They didn't have any. And by the time they realized it, rushed field goal unit onto the field. They lined up for the kick. Kicker lines up his steps. You think, oh, no, college kicker moment, often unreliable. But you can't blame the kicker this time. Clock strikes zero, mere yards from victory, or a chip shot field goal from victory, and 20 seconds to execute, and they just stood there and watched it all drain away. They must have forgotten they burned a timeout in the first 40 seconds of the fourth quarter. Now, IUP is a good outfit. They were ranked at number 12. They lose, but they win. Because they are a lock, a lock for a number one seed and dumb loses more than smart wins. Pure lock. 
Yes, I have to. I have to credit uh, a head coach who who will remain nameless who sent that along to me just because he was so completely confounded by it. And I have to admit, amid this epic uh, Texas Alabama game, we were fortunate to see on uh, on Saturday night, Reese. I actually took like five minutes and watched that thing three times because I just couldn't believe what happened. But the the Sutter fudge was interesting. After the the knee to get there, they there was a gang tackle and a lay on top of the ball carrier as a stall tactic, and yeah. I think. I, the way I perceived it was that almost killed 10 of the seconds because guys are trying to dig the, the defensive players off. The IUP players are trying to trying to peel dudes off. And I think that that was like a, a distraction as much as it was a, a stall tactic. And the operation got sideways from uh, from that. So that was that was the best pancake block, um, probably slightly <laughs> illegal, that you've ever seen. It was you – know, I went through the play-by-play because I couldn't figure out and then I found it. I think it was fourteen twenty four of the fourth quarter, because in, according to some of the reports, it seemed as if they thought they had a time. And I'm not familiar with what the scoreboard looks like there, whether it has a timeout remaining or anything like that. It seems as if they thought perhaps they had a timeout and they didn't, but they burned one early, burned one on that drive. But they had also used one like in the first minute of the fourth quarter there. So, but they'll be back. They'll they'll be fine. They're a highly, highly, highly thought of outfit there. I'm watching. I'm like, no, no, run off the, no, run off the, no. And it just was like, because there were guys, as you said, delaying, but there was also confusion on the IUP side of exactly what they were supposed to do. You know, they, the urgency was not there. So dumb loses. Yeah. Not a fun special teams meeting on uh, Monday morning at uh, IUP. I have a feeling. I would. I would think not, but they'll be back. Probably make the playoff. Maybe it'll be something that they'll laugh about 20 years from now, but probably not. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) If I had to guess. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Appreciate all of our guests joining us. Hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast so it winds up right into your feed. But now, a little bonus content for you. Jen Latta with Tim Tebow. This interview is brought to you by the Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter coming soon to a game near you. Visit mbvans.com slash Sprinter Labs to learn more. Now, here's Jen Latta with Tim Tebow. What an absolute treat it is to be bringing you this conversation from our custom ESPN college football sprinter van. This podcast is presented by Mercedes-Benz. I'm Jen Latta of College Game Day, and I am joined by the one, the only, needs no introduction, but let's just do it anyway, Tim Tebow. Tim, thanks for hanging out with me in, of this, course. in the sprinter this van. This is impressive. What they've done in here, it's like pretty creative and fun and it's also you don't realize how special it is before you get in it's cool I mean, the lights I the know. props the tvs the cameras they got three cameras set up over here it's impressive yeah they've done a really good job yeah. um what also has been impressive of course has been the start of this college football season i mean colorado has obviously been one of the biggest stories that i can remember in a while maybe since georgia kind of leapt onto the scene yeah. and then went back to back with the national titles what do you make of what dion is doing there at colorado it's contagious probably the first word that comes to mind for me is you could think of belief you could think of passion you could think of sacrifice you could think of awareness all of those but I think of it's contagious man when you watch him 
you want to be part of it. When you see their team play, you want to be part of it. When you see their players talk, you want to be part of it. It is contagious. When people love what they do, when they're passionate about it, when they care so much for it, they're willing to sacrifice, there's something that's so contagious in that. And I think that when he showed up, some people bought in and some people didn't. But those that bought in, look how all the way in they are. And they are so um, feeding off of his personality, feeding off of his confidence, feeding off of his belief. And he has truly rubbed off. And we say that a lot, right? Like, oh, this person's rubbed off. And sometimes I think we mean it, and sometimes it's just a catchphrase. But for Prime, I, I really believe it, that he is rubbing off on those players. They believe a little bit more because of him. They walk a little bit taller because of him. They, they think a little bit more of themselves, and I mean that in a good way, because of him. And I, I just I was talking to someone a couple hours ago that I think is one of the better trainers in the world. He said, hey, what do you think of, about this? And, and I just said, it's, it's something that I think is unique because so many people believe because he believes. And that's, that's contagious. Well, and even in your space, we see how much of an effect you can have on people when you pour into them. It does feel like Deion Sanders is pouring into those athletes, pouring into the program, pouring into the conference. You know, we don't know what the future of that conference is, but holy moly, when they move over to the Big 12, you know, it's going to just be incredible to see how that ripple effect affects that league as well. Travis Hunter is this unbelievable kid who people knew who were paying attention (laughs) previously, but is it possible for him to maintain playing as many snaps as he did in the first game of the season. I think I saw numbers like 140-ish. Like they couldn't even get a they couldn't even yeah. get a, an exact yeah, number, number on yeah, it because he was out crazy. there so much. I think um I I think he can do it, but I also think we don't need to get too into the nitty-gritty, but I, I think therapy, I think giving him rest and practice, I think um understanding that you need to kind of count his reps like a pitcher in baseball in practice so that in the game um he can unleash his god-given athletic ability which come it's so easy to see it shine and it's so fun to watch him play because he also plays with such passion that is so contagious to watch his love for the game to watch and even in the the cut-ups you could see him smiling in between plays and you're like wow they they love what they're doing and so i do think he's going to be able to maybe not that many snaps but I think he'll be able to play both ways, especially in big situations. But I would just want to make sure, like, this is a kid that's getting a therapist, you know, that's working on him, you know, morning, afternoon, evening. He's getting, um, you know, uh, support with supplementation on the sidelines. He's he probably cherry juices during halftime in the game. But, you know, it'd be probably even worth it to think about an IV at halftime for him. You know, something that a lot of people don't do until the NFL. But something I would consider for someone like that. Do you think we'll see more athletes trying to play both ways yes. at the division one level, or yes. do you think he's one of one? No, I think, I think, yes. Is he one of one? Yes. But I do think you could see more people, but it also takes someone like prime to understand a gifting and then let it loose. How in our sport that we love so much, um, sometimes we can get stuck in we do it the way it's always been done. Only because it's always been done that way. Yes. And I love when people are willing to break the mold. Take chances. Yes. Because when you take a chance, can you fall on your face? Yes. But you also can be special. And what Prime has been willing to do is take a chance. 
with the team, with Colorado, with Travis, with all of that, with his son. And so far it's been amazing, but I also think it's gonna take more coaches that are willing to do different things. And maybe one of that is when you find a special player, then give him a shot to possibly play both ways. It could be different if it's a, you know, someone that has to take more physical hits as well. It's something, you know, alignment, offense and defense, you might not be able to do that. But some of these athletic guys, maybe, Another example of prime breaking the mold has been the captain's C's, right? We talk about like for years and years and years, guys always earn the sure. captain's C's. And he was like, nah, C, let's do L's and D's for leaders and dogs, you know? And you're like, yeah, that, sure, why not? And like, what's going to stop another coach from being like, that's, right. that's a great point. What do we want to emphasize? What do we want to reward? Right. And you might see that trickle effect, that ripple effect in the league as well. I totally agree. And I love that. It's another way he's willing to be different, but he's also planting something in the mind of his players, right? He's telling them what he sees in them and what they can be. You see, I, I think for any great leader, I think there's a couple of things that, that have to happen. Is a leader show someone a vision of what they can be if they buy in. Shows them a picture of what they can do. And as a unit, what we can do if you buy in. And then shows them the map of all the little things it's going to take to get there. So he shows them the vision. And then he shows them the map of all the steps to get there. And I feel like that's what Prime is doing in all of these little ways. He said, this is what we could be. But these are all the things that are going to be necessary for us to get there. And even those little things, putting it on the jerseys, the, the words and the phrases that are used, all of that is painting a picture in these boys' minds of who they can be. No, no, I want you to think that when you walk on the field, I want you to think that you're the best. I want you to believe that you're the best. He's speaking life into them. And how much has this been a sport that has sometimes a little bit been the opposite? You know, it's been, you know, hard, hard, hard. And, and sometimes there is hard coaching that needs to take place. But Prime is showing that you can do it in a way of I'm speaking life, I'm speaking life. And sometimes it, he can be an intense coach that's also, you know, can say the hard things. And sometimes we, we need constructive criticism. But I also believe that we can speak life into people. Let's talk about the college football playoff. This the last year of its current iteration. How do you think the league is going to change? Uh, we talk about the transfer portal. You mentioned NIL. Um, there's just so many new things in the sport right now. Yes. Well, I mean, it'll at the core, it'll be the same, right? The football is still the football, but there are a lot of things that are swirling around this sport. Yeah, and if I said I had a perfect answer to that, I'd probably be lying. I think there's a, a I don't think anybody has the perfect answer of what it's going to look like. I still think it's going to be a whole lot of fun with a lot of passion, <laughs> right? a lot of tradition. I think the new playoff system is going to bring a, a lot of unique excitement. I think it's going to have more teams competing to get a shot. I think the 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 home field advantage would just be crazy exciting. I mean, arguably it's what I'm most excited about. I just think that'll be so much fun. Um, you know, we'll see what how it all finishes with conference realignment. I think that's going to be really interesting to see how all that shakes out. I'm excited to see, you know, the Texas and Oklahoma stepping into the SEC. Um, I already sort of feel like they're already a part of it with, with this game here and Texas Bama and, you know, supposed to be Oklahoma and Georgia and that got canceled because it couldn't have a home and home. And so it's just really exciting. And I do think it's important that some of the fans like myself take a step back and, and we're just a little patient about seeing, you know, we're going to be upset. Oh, you know, is Auburn going to play LSU and is Florida going to play Georgia and Jacksonville and all these things. And 
you know, there's going to be some things that I think the fans have to give and take on a little mm-hmm. bit because there's so much change. But I think there will also be exciting things that can come as well. Yeah, people want to protect those rivalries. They want to protect things they have known. Yes. But it'll be like what I tell my five-year-old and my three-year-old. Practice your patience. This is a good opportunity to practice your patience. <laughs> I think you were telling me patience. that, right? Yeah. Just in yeah, general. I think you are telling right? me. Like, Sometimes I think I need that about it. this game. I'm like... Wait, we're not going to have this game? No, exactly. Um, But you can see how quickly a program can be at the top of the mountain and then have some struggles. And Clemson comes to mind when I think of that with the way that they went out there week one, losing to Duke, which seems to be a program on the rise as well. How do you get something like that turned around? Is it as simple, Tim, as you got to use the transfer portal? You got to be willing to go out there and pick up talent wherever it is. It's not that far off. I think what also happens is we make a mountain out of something that might be a little bit of a oh overreact are you trying to say that we overreact in college football and in sports in general yes oh my gosh what a hot take (laughs) and it's just and sometimes it's like okay they're 18 19 20 years of age and because of nil and because of transfer portal that you have so much shakeup in that that teams might not have as much chemistry going into week one as they had in Mm. you know the years past and I think it's going to, those are also times when you can upset teams, but it's also going to be interesting to see the difference between teams week one and 12. Sure. And I think you're going to see the great ones adapt and continue to improve. Because let's also remember Georgia last year, week one, they weren't the same team. Like they went through a stretch where um, they won, I think, like 32 to, to 19, and then they played Missouri and won, you know, at the very end. And honestly, you know, we're pretty close to losing. And there's a three-game stretch where they weren't moving the ball very well on offense, and they weren't the same team that ended the year. But Kirby does such a good job of continuing to coach and develop and bring a team together. And it's going to be really – and look at Brian Kelly and LSU last year. That wasn't the same team. And guess what? They need to make the same adjustments they did last year of continuing to grow and develop and improve as a team. And so that's also another big thing in college football is I think the growth from week 1 to 12 – Probably it'll be more or as much as it's ever been. That's how important it is now because of the changes. So I was talking to a coach recently who was telling me about the impact that the transfer portal is having on, like you mentioned, the chemistry of teams. He said it used to be we were out recruiting a kid for years months and then we were like figuring out who they were and how they fit with what we were doing he said now a kid goes into the transfer portal and we maybe have a day or two to figure out who they are what they're all about how they fit with our program and then you're signing on the dotted line and you're crossing your fingers and you're hoping that they are a good fit their talent is there it's unquestioned right but you're hoping that they're a good fit for your program and he said it's made it tougher to transition there's a lot more pieces than just talent right there's um, will he fit? Does he fit into our scheme? Right. Uh, um, does he? Is he someone that would develop? Is he someone that buys into our beliefs and our principles? There's so much that that is at play, and it makes it harder to do that evaluation. But then it also makes it harder to be able to build that that cohesiveness, that unity, which most of the great teams there's something special that happens. And most of the time, I think it happens in fall camp or it happens in the summer training or happens early in the season where all of a sudden there's some sort of buy-in where the the I shrinks and the we is increased. And, and there's something more of, of um, a togetherness. And, you know, for us, one of that, those things was in fall camp. We would have these, these sessions called Bleed on Me 
where guys would stand up in front of the team and and share what different things that happen in our life where they're from things that they've gone through and man you you get to know your teammate and and you would fall in love with that teammate and it would make you want to have his back so much more and that would help us come together and when you don't have as much of that is it as easy to understand and really yeah you're gonna have guys on the team that are close but can you get 30 40 50 guys that are coming together on that same page and you always talk about how important it is to love someone care about them and then you're willing to like you always say go do that hard work with them they call them skull sessions at georgia right skull (laughs) sessions and that is learning about each other their why their background and when you have that information you're more likely to be like i got your back you know and come from a genuine place tim i could talk college football with you all dang day long but they are going to cut us off he's tim tebow i'm jen latta this conversation from our custom espn college football sprinter van presented by mercedes-benz i got a feeling tim's coming back i mean he likes these digs so much it's awesome come on and we could talk college football all season long here in the mercedes-benz sprinter van thanks tim Thank you. Appreciate it.